When you examine the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash, you notice that the Mishkan, on the one hand, never occupied a permanent place, and yet on the other hand, all of its elements remain eternal. Whereas the Beis Hamikdash has a permanent place, yet its elements were destroyed, and that represents two different aspects of how bringing godliness into this world, making a Dirah actually works. And the two will come together in the time of Moshiach in the ultimate base Amigdash that will have both advantages. So what are these two individual and unique advantages of the Mishkan on the one hand and the base Amigdash on the other? Amr Chazal al-Apostak, the Medrash tells us, and the Pasuk Rashi quotes it as well, when the Pasuk tells us these are the details, the accounts, the audit of the Mishkan, and then it repeats again, Mishkan Ha'edus, Shemashenemar, Mishkan, Mishkan, Shnei Piyomim, is the fact that it repeats the word Mishkan twice, it alludes to the fact that there was a base Hamikdash that was taken as collateral, taken as a deposit, on two occasions when the building was destroyed, by Srishan or by Shania, the first and second base Hamikdash. So now, the minute you see that, straight away you have a question, but in moment doesn't make sense, as many of the commentaries pointed out. If you think about it, if the word Mishkan is repeated in the Pasuk, then naturally, logically, only one of those words is extra. Because makes sense. This is the order. These are the details of how they put together the Mishkan. That makes sense. So only the second time it says Ha Mishkan, Mishkan. The second time it says Mishkan, that's extra. How then do we learn from a double expression that it refers to two Bate Mikdash, not the Mishkan itself, two Bate Mikdash that were destroyed? Surely the logic says we should only be learning one extra word and therefore one reference. Unless, of course, we've misunderstood how we extract this particular lesson. This proves to us the fact that we're darshaning these words, Mishkan, Mishkan, to relate to the Beis HaMikdash, the two Bate Mikdash, we're not learning that from the fact that the word Mishkan is used twice, which is what you would have assumed. Rather, as Rashi points out, it's a play on words. It's the fact that which word was doubled over here, the word Mishkan, which implies that something was taken as a Mashkan, that the building was taken as a deposit against a future time when it would be returned to us from so in other words, the Pasuk is saying very simply, we're describing the Mishkan, in addition to the very obvious that this is the list of what they did and what materials were used and how much of everything was used in order to make the, base, to make the Mishkan. In addition to the Pshat, there is another layer to this, which is that the word Mishkan automatically, etymologically, relates to the word Mashkan, which is a deposit. And the fact that there is a word relating to Mashkan, to deposit, which is said twice in the Pasuk, so that alludes to the fact that there are two deposits Hashem would take from us, the first and the second base Hamikdash. So that's how we're to understand this Medrash and, and Rashi. It's not because of the double language, but specifically because of the word itself. Now, Hasforno beer, the Sforno adds another perspective on this, and he says, that actually this Pasuk, which is Mishkan, in addition to the fact that obviously it's introducing the details of what it took in order to make the Mishkan, in addition to that, what the Torah wants us to know is how amazing the elements of the Mishkan were. So the Torah is kind of ramping up the value of the elements of the Mishkan. How are they, what about them is so unique? Because they were so unique, whatever their uniqueness is, we'll discuss it a little bit later, the elements of the Mishkan were never lost. 
tells us you might think that the Mishkan was lost. If the Pasuk tells us that the Mishkan was primarily made out of boards of shittim wood, which stand. Now, literally, that means that they stood upright, and that's how you made the Mishkan. But the Gemara says further, that that implies that they stood forever. In other words, they lasted forever. Not only did the Mishkan elements last eternally, okay, you have a question, where are they now? All right, so they were put away somewhere. But they last eternally. Not only that, but more importantly, not one element of the Mishkan ever fell into enemy hands, which of course is very different to the base Hamikdash. So the Sforno tells us that there's something unique about the elements of the Mishkan that gave us this. It gave it this uh, eternal nature and immunity, protection from any negative forces. And then, then the Spirit says, the Pasuk will now tell us what's so special about the Mishkan. Why the elements of the Mishkan landed up being eternal and protected from enemies. So what is special about the Mishkan? Mishkan Ha'edus. Number one, it's a Mishkan which is testimony to the fact that Hashem is with the Jewish people. Moshe. And it was instructed by Moshe. That's a very big factor over here. And then it was run by the, the Levim in their various um, groups. Designed and project managed by Betzalel and his team. Because of all of these factors that came together, that's why the Shechina became part of their handiwork. So the actual materials that they used to fashion the actual elements of the Mishkan, therein lies divine presence, and therefore it could never fall into enemy hands. Whereas, if you had to compare that to the base Amigdash, the base Amigdash did not have all of these components, Moshe Rabbeinu giving the instruction, and Betzalel, etc. Obviously, we know that the first base Amigdash had Shechina that rested and was manifest there. Nevertheless, the elements of the base Amigdash were eventually destroyed. And in fact, it all fell into enemy hands. And if that's true of the first base Amigdash, Valderech says similarly, even more so, the second base Latnoim didn't have any of the elements, not only of the Mishkan, many of the things of the first base Amigdash were lacking in the second base Amigdash. Therefore, did not have the same degree of divine presence as the first base Amigdash had, and it also fell into the hands of enemies. Now, we need to understand a little bit better what is it about the Mishkan that the Mishkan had, that the elements themselves have this eternal value. We could suggest that the, the source of this perspective that the Sephora offers, it's a statement in the Gemara that says, that no enemy of the Jewish people could ever have power over something that was produced and manufactured, and in this case also directed and orchestrated by Moshe Rabbeinu. But Ochein therefore says the Gemara Mishan Ibn Amigdash Rishan, as soon as the first base Amigdash was built, Nigna Soil Moyet, Krashov, Krashov, Brichov, Amudav, Vadonov, all of the elements of the Mishkan were hidden away until today we don't know where, and therefore Veloy Nafru Biadho, even they never fell into enemy hands. Now we can understand why we're saying, what's the greatness of the Mishkan? It was all instructed by Moshe, so therefore it all falls into the category of Moshe's work, Moshe's efforts, and anything which Moshe touches becomes eternal. So therefore the elements of the Mishkan, all the elements, even the, the basics, that, you know, the physical things that, that are the structural elements of the Mishkan, they all survive forever.
So what do we see? We see that there's something unique about the Mishkan because it was Moshe's involvement, and later on in the Sikha we'll explain why Moshe's involvement makes such a big difference. Therefore, every element of the human production of the Mishkan lasted forever and could never be touched by enemies. <clears throat> Now, this advantage that we're illustrating over here about the greatness of the Mishkan over the base Amikdash. What's the greatness? It is, its elements are eternal because it's Maise De Moshe. That is what you get when you read the simplest understanding of the Psukim. The simplest understanding this is Moshe's project, therefore it lasts forever. Which means that if I'm looking at things from a Pshat perspective, just seeing what is most evident, then what's most evident is that the Mishkan is unique in the fact that the Mishkan is eternal. Because it's Moshe's production. And the Pshat is that that is different to the Bata Mikdash, which were not made by Moshe or instructed or overseen by Moshe, and therefore could be destroyed and fall into enemy hands. That's according to Pshat. That's the Sforno's explanation. But when you look at Remes, which is a deeper interpretation of the Psukim, in other words, we're looking at things as they appear in a more internal, deeper manner, then we'll discover that Gam HaMikdash is Heim Nitzchim. You'll discover that the Bat HaMikdash are also eternal, but in a different way to the Mishka. And once we recognize that the Debat HaMikdash have an eternal value, that resolves a very blatant question. What's the blatant question? It's very strange that we should talk about the destruction of the Debat HaMikdash using a word mashkoin from the word mishkan, which implies something that's taken as a deposit. Because in Yonishon, mashkan, in when a creditor takes a deposit, takes a security, he doesn't destroy it. He doesn't now take full ownership of it. It's just that he holds on to this particular item temporarily. And the intention is that at some point, the debtor will repay his debt and the creditor will then return the security item in good condition. So how do you, say, how do you use the word mashkoin as a description of the Bata Mikdash that were destroyed? Unless, of course, that's exactly the point that it wants to show us. The fact that there was a destruction of the base HaMikdash does not mean that whatever the base HaMikdash is and whatever it represents was completely destroyed. God forbid to say such a thing. It's just temporarily removed from the picture and held security. Eventually, Eventually, the two Bata Migdash will be returned to us. So that, that tells you, that already hints at the fact that there's an eternal element to the Bata Migdash as well. So now what we've got to examine is, so if the Bata Migdash are eternal, what's the big deal then about saying the Mishkan is Maisa Moshe and it's Nitzchim? You already told me the Beis Migdash also has an element of Nitzchius. So, the advantage, the higher extent of eternal nature that the Mishkan has over the Bata Mikdash, that's with regards to the elements, the actual pieces of the Mishkan and the Kalim that were inside it. But we all know that with regards to the space that the Mishkan occupied and how much holiness it brought to that space, 
right? How much divine presence came into the place where the Mishkan stood versus where the Beis Hamikdash stood? That's where you'll see that there's an advantage to the Beis Hamikdash over the Mishkan. As the Rambam clearly tells us right at the beginning of Hilchus Beis Abichira that there's an advantage to the Beis Hamikdash. He starts off by telling us that the Torah already described the Mishkan that Moshe made, and it was temporary. And then came in Geneva and when they built the full structure of the base of Migdash in Yerushalayim. Then, then it became forbidden to make a place anywhere else for Hashem and to bring a carbon anywhere else. And from there on, there was no other place that was suitable to be a home for Hashem except Yerushalayim and specifically Har Hamiria. Maybe and he quotes the pasuk that Hashem says, "This is my rest, my place of rest forever." In other words, whatever kedusha the Mishkan brought to a place was absolutely temporary as long as the Mishkan sat in that particular place. as the pasuk describes it, says like it's as if I was moving around with a temporary nature of a tent, whereas a bias. The structure, the permanent structure of a home, a place where the divine presence could be manifest for the long term, that was reserved only for Yerushalayim, for the Beis HaMikdash. Because that's where the Kedusha and the Shechina now is, it has an impact in the negative side as well. That Once there's a Beis you can't, you're not allowed to build any other place to represent Hashem anywhere else in the world. This is unique to the Beis HaMikdash. So what do we see? The Mishkan's eternal nature is expressed in its elements, and the Beis HaMikdash's eternal um, nature is expressed in its location, as we'll explore. Beyond that, the Binyan Amikdash Harishin, when they built the first base, Amikdash, not only was there now a permanent residence for the divine presence, so not only is there an address, so for the future, if you ever want to build a base, Amikdash, that is now the permanent address, but the Shechina, the Kedusha that manifested in that place, is always there. That the kedusha that is associated with the Beis Hamikdash and by extent, by extension, the whole city of Yerushalayim, kedusha rishon The initial kedusha that was manifest into that place is forever. Because what gives the holiness to those places, Yerushalayim, and more specifically Har Habayis, is the Shechina, and the Shechina obviously never expires, so therefore the Kedusha is eternal. Move on, from which we can understand what we explained previously. That when you look a little more deeply at the Psukim, the Rem is Mishkan Mishkan in the Pasuk. We said that that tells us that illustrates that the Bate Mikdash are eternal like the Mishkan. It's not just because this is a permanent residence and the address will never change and you can never have a temple for Hashem anywhere else. You have to keep coming back to Yerushalayim. So that's that obviously that's where you see the greatness of the base Hamikdash over the Mishkan. Right? The Mishkan never had a permanent address. There was no issue that you had to come back to a particular place. 
But more than that, at a shagam b'mikdoshes yeshna kolponim me'ein inin anitzchus shabachelke kriya mishkan, the mishkan mishkan association illustrates to us that there has to be something about the bate mikdash that has a similar kind of eternal, lasting value, similar to the mishkan. It's not going to be the same as the mishkan, but similar to the mishkan. So, in order to understand that, lhoven zois bebir yoiser. So we're going to explore what the Gemara tells us on another Pasuk. The Pasuk is, Levisha tells the Eden through Moshe Rabbeinu, you have not yet come El to the place of real rest, and to the place of your inheritance. Say, Chazal, what is Menucha and what is Nachla? So Menucha, Zeishiloi. Menucha referred to where the Mishkan was going to sit for almost 400 years in Shiloi. Nachla and the inheritance of Yerushalayim, that's the real permanent address of the Shechina in Yerushalayim. Now we've got to analyze why we're we calling Shiloi Menucha and Yerushalayim Nachla. But Pashtos, simplest reason would be Atam Shirushalayim Dafke Nikris Nachla Vishila Nikris Menucha Bilvad. The reason why you would call Yerushalayim the inheritance, whereas you'd only call Shiloi the rest stop. Because everybody will acknowledge that an inheritance has a more permanent value than a place of rest. You could rest for an hour, you could rest for a day. Nachla means once it's yours, it's yours forever. Right? Resting could be very temporary. That would explain why Yerushalayim is called Nachla, because that is the only place that is identified as an, an, an address for the, for the Shekhinah, forever. So that's the explanation. That's why Yerushalayim is called Nachla. But that's actually not enough of a reason, because because there's another opinion over there in the Gemara Zvachim that says the exact opposite, that Menucha, the rest stop, is Yerushalayim, and the Nachla, the inheritance, is Shiloh. Despite the fact that everybody agrees that Yerushalayim has a major advantage over Shiloi in terms of permanence, in terms of the structure that was built there, etc. So how would you entertain a, a svara in the Gemara that suggests that Yerushalayim should only be called not, uh, Menucha if Menucha could be temporary? So therefore, we have no option but to say that actually the word Menucha implies something that has a certain advantage even over Nachla, which is so permanent. In other words, Menucha describes one type of greatness and Nachla describes another type of greatness and each has an advantage that the other one does not have. How so? As we said before, what was the greatness of the Mishkan, we said? That every element of the structure of the Mishkan, every keli that was inside the Mishkan, lasts forever and had to be buried because it could never be destroyed. But if you look at the role of an address, a place for divine presence, the Mishkan does not really fulfill that in the best way possible because it keeps moving and so wherever it is, it's a temporary location. Whereas the base Amikdash is the exact opposite. The location remains holy forever, even when there's no building there. But the bricks and mortar, the kalim of the base Amikdash, they were lost and they fell into enemy hands. It's the exact opposite. The greatness of the Mishkan is its kalim and elements. The greatness of the base Amikdash is its location. Those two elements 
those two perspectives are represented by the two words Menucha and Nachla. Asher Achilik Benehem Bepashtosu, which you could clearly distinguish as follows. Menucha Metaeres is Matzav Nafshe Shel Ho'odam Gavra. When you talk about rest, you must be talking about a person. People need to rest. In other words, you're looking from the perspective of the person, the practitioner. The person's not uh, nomadic, not schlepping all over the place. And of course, if a person is in transit, then their personal belongings will also be in transit. As we see, practically, that a person's personal items actually tend to influence the person even more than their home. Your home obviously influences you when you're in it. It does give you a sense of anchor even when you're not in it, but your personal items that you have with you at any given time, those are the things that influence you. So, for example, you dress well, you feel confident, etc. Whereas when you talk about a nachla, the inheritance, you're not describing so much the person as much as the object itself, what its value is. So now let's look from this perspective at the Mishkan. Which Mishkan? Mishkan Shiloi. The Mishkan that sat in Shiloh for 365 years. Part of Mishkan Shiloh was made out of materials that originally belonged to Moshe's Mishkan. The Rambam tells us, What did they use as the roof of the Mishkan in Shiloi? The same skins of animals that they had used for the roof of the Mishkan in the desert. So it incorporates elements of the original Mishkan into it. And therefore, my losoi minucho. What it brings to the party is the sense that the people and the kalim are in a sense of being where they need to be connected to Hashem. And therefore, Therefore, where do you see the eternal value in the Mishkan? In the personal items, the elements that make up the Mishkan and the kalim that are used inside the Mishkan as well. So therefore, when they settle all of those items for a lengthy period of time in Shiloh, the appropriate term to use for it is because it's a settling of all this tilt for 40 years, moving, moving, and now we settle down. Whereas when you look at the base Amikdash, where the greatness of the base Amikdash is not expressed in its components and in its kalim, its greatness is specifically illustrated by its location, which remains the eternal centerpiece of the whole of Jewish life. Therefore, the appropriate term to use for it is nachlo, an inheritance, because that describes the space rather than the people operating in the space. Let's understand that a little better. Let's explain it better in terms of the Mishkan versus the Beis HaMikdash. By understanding effectively the limitations of human input versus anything that is blessed by Hashem to operate in a different way. Humans are finite, so therefore our actions and our structures and our creations are all finite. And therefore, with all the finite effort in the world, you obviously can never create something that is infinite. The only way that something could become infinite is it has to be the Abish's handiwork. So therefore, the actual components of the base Amigdash are not permanent. They are not eternal. Because they are, as the Zayar describes, human creations. Humans are limited. Therefore, the time span of the things that we create will be limited. Whereas the fact that Yerushalayim and Har Habayis specifically are places of holiness, that's not human achievement. 
אלא היא נבאס מכך שזה המוקם השאי יבחר הבא לקח הבוא לשקנת שמשון. That's because David just selected this place and decided that he wants to manifest it. To put it in the Rambam's language, Why is the space of the Beis Hamikdash holy? Because of the Shechina, not because of humans. Because of the Shechina, or Shechina in a betela. And the Shechina never, obviously, expires. So what do we see? There are two things to look at. Human production. Human production is limited. We built a Beis Hamikdash. We fashioned Kalim to go inside it. It was all made by humans. And therefore, at some point, it was susceptible to destruction. Whereas the place, the location, which the Epishter chose as his epicenter of holiness, obviously, that can never change. So, Kolomer, to say it in other words, it wasn't constructing the Beis HaMikdash that caused that place to become the place of divine presence. All we did by building the Beis HaMikdash was we created the legwork, the groundwork, so it could be a suitable place where Hashem would choose to manifest the Shechina. And that his Shechina should be revealed there. But what actually causes the divine presence to be revealed in that space? That's Abish's business, Abish's choice. Because it's Abish's creation, it is forever. So, what is forever in the base of Amigdash? What Abish to put in? What did he put in? This is my holy location. In the Mishkan, the experience was the exact opposite. We don't find that Abisha said there's a specific place where the Mishkan is going to be in the desert, and I choose that place to be a special place for divine manifestation. Not at all. That's not how the Mishkan worked. And Abish is very clear. What brings about revelation of Shechina in the Mishkan? You making a Mishkan. The Pasuk says, You have to make the Mishkan and then I will dwell there. So it's the construction that makes the appearance of divine presence. So as soon as in this particular location, the cause of divine presence, i.e. the structure of the Mishkan, is no longer there. The Mishkan, which is the source of making Hashem's home, has now moved on. So naturally, the, the consequence is no longer there. There's no longer divine presence in that particular place. Whereas the elements of the Mishkan, the boards that made the walls, the skins that made the roof, the kalim that were used inside, that is the product, not of ordinary citizens, but the product of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is an absolutely dedicated servant of Hashem. And all a servant is, is effectively his master extended. Especially when you consider, even from an Alachic perspective, the concept of whatever a, a servant acquires automatically belongs to his master. In other words, what's the Alachic parameter? It's not that the Ebed acquires something for himself, and then by virtue of him acquiring it, now it is transferred immediately to his owner, to his boss, to his um, master. The minute he picks it up, it's automatically his, his master's. It's as if he was his master's hand. 
So an Eved is an extension of Hashem. Moshe's Eved, Neman of Hashem, he's an extension of Hashem. Whatever Moshe does, it's like doing it himself. Therefore, just as if the Ebrish himself would do something, it would obviously be eternal. Likewise, whatever Moshe makes is eternal. So in the base Amikdash, what did the to make? He made the place holy. He left the construction to us. In the Mishkan, what did the Ebrish to make? He made the Kalim via Moshe. He left the place up to wherever the Mishkan happens to be. So in the Mishkan, the Kalim and the elements are what are eternal. In the base, I mean, just the location is what's eternal holiness. Shlomo, so we could suggest that would explain why later on when it came time to make the base Amikdash even though Shlomo Amikdash was the one who ran the project but the fact that the Shechina was manifest in the base Amikdash was not attributed to Shlomo but after to his father to David Hamelech very well known Gemara that tells us after Shlomo Amikdash they couldn't get the doors to open they couldn't get the Shechina to be manifest and so Shlomo Amikdash davens and he davens and he davens and only after he says these words Hashem Lekim don't turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember the kindness of David, your servant, not David, my father, David, your servant. Then Shlomo Melech was able to bring the Oran into the Kedosh HaKadoshim and the Shechina was manifest in the base Hamikdash. It all hinged on David HaMelech. Why on David HaMelech? Because the goal of the Beis Hamikdash was to create a place where the divine presence would be in a permanent, eternal way. So you needed a person who would be the facilitator for that divine presence, and that person had to be similar to Moshe Rabbeinu, somebody who could have the eternal impact of their actions, like Moshe could. That's why it was specifically on David's Hashem, that he was a dedicated servant of Hashem, like Moshe Rabbeinu was. That's what Shlomo Melech highlighted by saying, "You have to please David. You have to answer and do it in the schus of David, your servant." Once you have David Amelech in the mix, and he is an Eved Neman of Hashem, who is therefore an extension of David's own hand. Then his effect, his his creation, his his handiwork, is eternal. And therefore, like the Mishkan was immune to the effects of enemies, so too David Hamelech's input into the space of the base Hamikdash that nobody in the world could ever take away the holiness from that space. Now that we understand the greatness of Menucha, then we can understand why it is that we also use the word Menucha with regards to Yerushalayim as well. As the Pasuk says, And he says, This is my place until him forever. Based on everything we learned, if we know that typically Nachalo is the word to describe Yishalayim and Menucha is typically the word to describe Shiloi, the Pasuk should have said, this is my eternal inheritance, inheritance, rather than saying, this is my internal, eternal um, uh, resting place. Why? How do you get Menucha into the Beis Amikdash? Because we haven't yet reached the ultimate state of the Beis Amikdash, and when we do, then everything comes together. The third base Amikdash will have both advantages. It will be both a place of Nachala and it will be a place 
of emuna, oh, of emuna, a, a place of menucha. Nitzchiyase einoi rak v'mokim hamigdash k'mimigdash rishon v'sheni. By the time you get to the third base hamigdash, the nitzchiyus, the eternal nature of the base hamigdash, won't only be that the location is always holy, because that exists already today, in spite of the destruction of the first and second base hamigdash. And agama binyan atzminyan hamenucha kenal yeloikim nitzchi. Menucha we described earlier describes the personal items of a person, not the location where you live. The personal items, which describes the elements of the base hamigdash, that also will be eternal. Meaning to say, the actual physical structure, the actual building of the base hamigdash ashlishi, will be eternal. Why will it be eternal? Because it will be built by Hashem Himself. Like the pasuk says, this is the base hamikdash that your hands Hashem have prepared. Okay, the Zoyar the Zoyar says the Zoyar says it clearly. The third base hamikdash will be built by Hashem's hand, and therefore will last forever. So, what's the third base hamikdash? Both mitzvahs. The space is eternal manifestation of Shechina, and the building is eternal product of Hashem. Now, the Chayre Yesh Lakshin says, Ah, you could ask a question. Surely, the simplest explanation of the Pasuk that says, This is my resting place forever is. What in the Tehillim over there makes you think it's only talking about the third base Amigdash? Surely, Zois Munuchasi Adead applied already in the first base Amigdash. How does that work? We know the, third, the first base of Mikdash, the building was not eternal. Not only that, the Rambam quoted this passage, as a proof to the halacha, which is, that once the building was built, the base of Mikdash was built in Yerushalayim, then it became forbidden to have a base of Mikdash or any kind of temple elsewhere. So, if we're explaining that the ultimate state of the Beis Hamikdash is only going to be in the future, in the time of Moshiach, why would the Rambam use that pasuk, which is supposed to describe the ultimate third Beis Hamikdash, with reference to the first Beis Hamikdash? So, the explanation is this. And the Gemara Erevin tells us about the nature of all the stops that the Jewish people made in the desert. Seeing as the Pasuk tells us, they didn't just randomly choose where to camp, how long to stay there, and when to move. It was always on Hashem's direction. Says the Gemara command to give you a Therefore, when they were in a place, it had an element of permanence to it because the Abisha told them to be there. In other words, even though the Jews were essentially nomadic tent dwellers in the desert, the fact that wherever they were, even if they were there only for a few hours in their tents, the fact that that was on Hashem's instruction, that became as if it was absolutely permanent. A completely temporary type of structure became a permanent experience of habitat because they wished to say so. From that, we could extrapolate to the base Amigdash. Seeing as it's the Eibishter who called the base Amigdash a home, a permanent structure. Because it's prior to the base Amigdash where the Eibishter says, I moved around as if in a tent. But now there's a bias, there's a permanent address. It's considered permanent, even if it's not going to last forever. Like the oil experienced in the in the in the desert, 
And it's a gamma mikdash ba'atzmai ene lefi sha'a. That means to say that the base amigdash is not temporary, even if it's structurally temporary. It's already considered something permanent. It constitutes a permanent presence for a limited period of time, which is a bit mind-boggling for us. But for the Ebishter, it's quite possible because the Ebishter gives it a sense of permanence in that time. Therefore, that expression, that concept of menucha, meaning to illustrate that the building itself has eternal value, is relevant also to the first and second base Hamikdash. Because yes, of course, the ultimate experience of a truly eternal base Hamikdash will only occur in the third base Hamikdash. But there's a taste of it already in the first and second base. Because the Abishta, who obviously, whatever the Abishta says, is absolutely true, calls it bias, not an oil, calls it something which is absolutely permanent. That also helps us to appreciate why all the groundwork for the first base Amigdash was actually done by David Americh, not by Shlomo Americh, came as super benach. As the Nach tells us, he bought the land and he started to work on the foundations, etc. Because David Americh, like Moshe Rabbeinu, is an absolutely dedicated servant of Hashem, and therefore his handiwork has eternal, lasting value. Which means even in the structure that Shlomo Americh subsequently built of the base Amigdash, there was some element, some taste of the eternal nature of the base amigdash already then not enough that it would physically last it did eventually fall into the hands of enemies because the actual building the structure itself was made by Shlomo Amalek who wasn't that level of David it was only the hachona, the preparation that was done by David which gave it the flavor of eternality but not that it actually lasted forever now the real secret of why it is that there's an eternal element to both the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash, and of course, as we've described in two different ways, is because there was something about those places that gave them this eternal nature. It doesn't come out of nowhere. So the Yosef Beis Uva Mashkoz We quoted the Svon already, and one of the things that he says, says one of the great things about the Mishkan which caused it to have eternal uh, longevity. He Mishkan he says there were various milas, right? He said it was Ashapukat al Moshe, it was Maisa Moshe, but he also says it's Mishkan Ha'edus, meaning to say, it was the Mishkan that housed the Luchois, and that's what gave it this eternal nature. Now we've already shown that there's a common denominator between the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi, that the actual structures would last forever in a way that everybody could see and identify. Including all the components and all the kalim within. So logically, there also therefore has to be a common thread between why they are in fact eternal. What caused them to deserve to last forever? Whether it be the Mishkan in the desert, or whether it be the third base what will be unique about the third base Amigdash is it will be like the Mishkan, where the Aaron will be there for the entire period of time that it stands. 
As opposed to the second base of Migdash where there was no Aaron in the first place. And even the first base of Migdash which had the Aaron at the later stage of the, of the lifespan of the first base of Migdash, the Aaron was removed and hidden away. So the Aaron containing the Luchos is the secret to the eternal nature of the Mishkan. And that will be the same case for the base of Migdash Ashlishi. We've explained now in great detail. We've explained that the, 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 the value of eternal nature did exist, although not visibly, in the first and second base of Migdash. It's just that with regards to the first and second base Amikdash, the only place that you actually see the eternal nature is in the location, that the location remains holy till today. That's why we keep going there, as opposed to the actual structure and the elements within that structure. So we said that that's distinct from the Mishkan. The Mishkan is that the actual structure, the components of the structure, and the Kalim within the structure were all eternal. And you don't see that in the first and the second base. The first and second base, the nature of its eternal element is the space that always occupies uh, the divine presence. With that in mind, we have to explain as follows. What does the Oran add in terms of the eternal nature of a holy space? The Oran doesn't add more holiness in a spiritual sense, more of the Shekhinah's presence in a spiritual sense. The Oran Dafka brings the manifestation of Shekhinah into a physical reality, into a physical space. The physical building and its elements become infused with eternal value. The Yuvon said, that might sound somewhat abstract, so we'll understand it, by exploring what the Oran represents within our own experience and how we serve Hashem. Every one of us is a sanctuary for Hashem. And we know this very well, like the famous saying of Chazal in the Pesach, that David says, make for me Mikdash and I'll dwell within you. So we are the sanctuaries. Now, if you look at the first thing, the Mishkan, subsequently the base of Mikdash, there are effectively three precincts. Azara, the external courtyard. Kodesh, the internal sanctum. And then the Holy of Holies, which has the Oren. Likewise, every single one of us in our spiritual makeup, we also have three major components. The external courtyard, which included the outdoor Mizbech, where all the sacrifices were brought. That represents the most um, accessible part of our sentiment and emotion towards Hashem, what we call basically the most accessible part of the spiritual heart. Koidesh, the inner sanctum, wherein you find also a Mizbech, so Mizbech is always a metaphoric of the heart, and this is the inner hidden Mizbech, that represents a far deeper experience of a deeper dimension of the heart and its commitment to Hashem. And then the Holy of Holies, which has the Ark, that represents the deepest, deepest part of who we are, Yechida. The Yechida Shebenefesh. 
It's a, it's a dimension of spirituality, which the Gemara alludes to by saying that the world of impurity doesn't have anything like it. So the world of impurity might have certain experiences of, of spirituality, but this is completely untouchable. It's completely immune to anything of the world of Klippus. Therefore, that part of ourselves is always absolutely whole, and it's absolutely eternal. Nothing can harm it, nothing can contaminate it. Because even much lower dimensions of the neshama are always committed to Hashem, even at the time of an Avera. So how much more so? This part of us that can never be touched and contaminated and harmed by an Avera. That's called the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Oren within. We can also call that the Moshe within each one of us. And you can see the link because Moshe is the absolute epitome of Torah. Torah, of course, is immutable. It's immune to any of the effects of Kripa. So that is the holy of holies within ourselves, the Moshe within ourselves, the Oren within ourselves, the Luchos within ourselves. So now you have two different time frames. Zman Mishkan on the one hand, how it all started at the time of the Mishkan. Zman Diliyosid Lavin, how it will ultimately be in the time of Moshiach. In the time of the Mishkan, which is a pristine state of Jewish history, and the time of the base, uh, the time of the base, Amikdash Hashlisha with Moshiach, which would be the ultimate state of Jewish history, the Aaron is where it needs to be, the Moshe is where it needs to be, the sense of absolute connection to Hashem is felt. Deir Hamidbar, let's go historically, the generation at that time in the Mishkan, Hoya, Deir Deir, they were a very knowledgeable, insightful generation. As we say, the entire generation was at the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. Shinyonu who das elyon came over because Arizal, as Arizal explains, they all had das elyon, the highest appreciation of godliness, and so therefore their Aaron was alive and well, exactly where it needed to be, and it influenced the reality of their lives. The gam of Yisam Moshiach, likewise, in the future when Moshiach comes, bezman shikui mayud umol Hashem lekeches levavcha gam aklipa dako where the Ebishter promises us to remove any impediment and obstruction to the heart, even the most subtle of, in, of impediments, then at that time, what will be completely revealed and experienced by every single one of us on a consistent basis is the deepest part of our heart, the Moshe within ourselves. Whereas the last few years of the first base Amigdash and the entire period of the second base Amigdash even though the Aaron then was still safe it was protected it was being hidden away it never fell into enemy hands because it can't be touched by the enemy but it was completely hidden from our experience now we can understand on a deeper level why the Rambam uses as a synonym for Mishkan the sanctuary of the desert specifically. Why the desert? As we know right from the beginning of the Rambam, that the Rambam alludes to Kabbalistic principles in his writings and here he does so as well. By using that expression, the sanctuary of the desert, He's actually speaking about a great Maila that the Mishkan has. What was its great Maila? That the Aaron was where it needed to be, and it was kind of revealed. That element of connection to Hashem was absolutely accessible. 
because a, a another way that you could describe the deepest, deepest part of the soul, the Yechida, the deepest part of the heart is the desert. Why the desert? Now, usually when you speak about a desert, you say it as a negative thing. It's where people don't go. People don't live there. As the Pasuk says. People don't go there. So what is a desert? It's beyond where people can go. Even Adam, the most sophisticated, developed spiritual being, cannot go there. It's actually an advantage where we say that a person can't live there, and it represents the capacity for absolute sacrifice for Hashem beyond anything that makes any sense. Which is a superlative rather than the word Adam. In fact, it's higher than the word Adam. As the Pasuk says in Look, says Yeshaya Novi, look at my servant, he is absolutely elevated. So even though Adam and Moed are the same letters, but we say the Gemara tells us Moed means higher than Adam Harishon. Why? Because it represents something which has no boundaries. Moed, it just keeps going more and more and more and more without any limitation. So that's Midbar Dikdusha. That represents a holy, healthy kind of a desert. It's beyond where humans can go, even in the most developed spiritual state. That's actually what the Oren represents, absolute dedication to Hashem, and that will be restored to its place of prominence when Mashiach comes. Now, Yodua, seeing as we're talking about Adam and Ma'oid as expressing this concept of total dedication to Hashem based on Yechidah Shabbat the Oren within ourselves, the Moshe within ourselves, so Yodua She'odam Meiral Sholosh HaPchinas Machshava Dibro Maisa In Chassidus it explains that Adam represents thought, speech, and action. Aleph is Machshava, the Aleph represents thought. Dalet represents Dibro, which is quite obvious. Mem represents Maisa, which is action. Vapizen Nimtza, so now that shows you something very interesting. She'be'atzirif me'oid, she'namayim etzir Adam. When you say the word Adam, everything's in the correct order. First Machshava, then Dibro, then Maisa. When we talk about the word Mo'oid, which we're now saying expresses such an amazing level of dedication to Hashem, we've reversed it completely. And now what are we saying? Ascholah yozmem, Maisa. The first letter that we confront is the letter which represents Maisa, which really is the least developed of all our spiritual abilities. How so? Why? The explanation is, Where do you see Messias Nefesh in practice? In actions. The highest level of dedication, the beginning of everything, Messias Nefesh, is wedged in the end of all things, which is practical action. As we know, the commentary in Chassidus on the expression we use in our davening on Shabbos, that there is nothing be'erech within the realm of comparison to Hashem, be'oilam azeh in this world, she'davka be'oilam azeh gashem boli debita ha'in arich shalom ma'ilam. That it's davka in this world, in this physical place of actions, that's actually where you get to experience the e'in arich, the exponentially beyond greatness of Hashem. The same applies to the exponential, infinite value of a Jew. Where do you see the deepest part of the neshama, the ability for absolute sacrifice? The part of the neshama that is beyond anything you could imagine or describe. Where is it most expressed? Where is the deepest part of the neshama most expressed? 
practical action. And that's the link between the Mishkan and the third base Amigdash. In both cases, the Oren the is where it belongs in a way that everybody can see and experience, representing the fact that each of us can access the deepest part of our Neshama at that time. And it affects the physical world. It affects the practical action that the pieces of the Mishkan and the pieces of the Beis HaMikdash Shashlishi and all the Kalim inside live forever. Because what the Oren represents, which is the deepest, deepest part of the heart, the deepest, deepest part of the Neshama, is expressed specifically through actions, which will be translated into the eternal lasting nature of every feature of the base Amikdash Hashlishi, which emits Hashem through our actions, motivated by complete dedication to Hashem, we should be able to realize not only Bim Heirvi but now Miyad Mamash.